Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. I do want to encourage you to check out out our t-shirt store at t-shirt.greatdetectives.net. We have several great designs. And you can pick your favorite. And we have different styles, including the women's slim fit tee, our regular premium tee, and we also have pullover hoodies, which are great for fall. Just go to t-shirt.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for the conclusion of the Clinton matter. From March 14th to March 16th of 1956, here's Episodes 3 through 5. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Florrie Hawkins, Mr. Dollar. Oh, yes. You were the principal of the school. I'd like to talk to you if I could. All right. Would you care to meet me for a cocktail? There's a place called the Trader's Inn not far out of town. I could be there in an hour. All right. Miss Hawkins. Yes, Mr. Dollar. What changed your mind about talking to me? Well, I've I've heard how you've gone about this. I mean, you forced Sheriff Doherty to let you in to see Roy Vickery. You defied Chief Hanley, and... Well, you don't seem frightened of any of them. Also, I... I suppose I'm a little sick of everything I've seen around here. Okay. I'll see you in an hour. I'll be there. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the United Adjustment Bureau, 418 West 61st Street, New York City. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the racket in Clinton, Colorado. Expense account item 9, 10 bucks, one dinner and four drinks for myself at the Trader's Inn, five miles outside of Clinton, where I waited for Flory Hawkins to appear. Sorry, I'm late. Oh, well, that's all right, Miss Hawkins. Uh, sit down, please. Would you, uh, would you like something to eat? A drink, maybe? No, thank you. I, uh, um... What's the matter? What is it? Oh, I can't help looking around. I hope no one sees us together. I mean, that would be difficult to explain. To explain to whom? Your friend, Sheriff Doherty, for one. Oh. Last night when you came to inquire about Julian Osborne... Sheriff Doherty called and told me to get rid of you and not answer any questions. Yeah, I guessed that. Did he tell you what would have happened if I had stayed and you had answered some questions? No. I can imagine it would have been something that would have barred me from teaching for the rest of my life. <sighs> that sounds incredible. No, not too. I've been looking at your little town, Miss Hawkins. A school building can be made of paper, go up in smoke, a man can be killed, and none of the responsible people, the man who built the building, the fire chief, the sheriff, seem to care too much. 
You asked me about Julian Osborne. I knew he wrote your insurance company, or called them, and told them the school building wasn't right. He told me he was going to do it. I see. I knew it wasn't right, too. Everyone who worked in there, who worked on the building, knew it wasn't up to specifications. Then I'll contact some of those people. Well, that may be difficult. Julian Osborne spoke up, and he burned to death. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you can't speak now, or any of the others. I'm willing to speak about that building now. Now I'm willing to help you. I'd, I don't know about the others. Will Mr. Baines help you? Well, he's frightened of going up against Vickery and the others. But I think I can talk him into it. That would be two of us. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Two people speaking out. And then there'd be others. Once it gets rolling, it won't stop. Unless I've missed my guess about the townspeople of Clinton. You seem to know a lot about people, Mr. Dollar. How to say what will stimulate them at the right time or make them speak out. I have to confess you did that to me. You looked hurt and bewildered last night when I insisted you leave me alone. I realize, you know, very deeply, I realize there could have been 1,400 pupils in that school when the fire broke out. I didn't sleep last night thinking of it. Yeah, I guess that was the only good feature of it. No children died. But as you say, Miss Hawkins, it could have happened the other way. Now look, besides yourself and possibly Mr. Baines, can you think of anyone else who might be able to supply information about the construction of the school? I don't know. Let me think. Somebody who'd, who'd have evidence in hand, possibly. Wait. Yes, I can think of someone. Who? The building inspector, the one who approved the building. Oh, well, that doesn't seem likely. If he passed that building, he must have been in with them. What's his name? His name is Richard Hobb. Oh, I've known him for years. Oh, he is in with them in a way, but I know he'd get out of it if he could. He, he was a very decent man when I knew him well. I think he's still decent. Richard Hobb. All right, who else? That's all I can think of. Well, that's a start. Well, what will you do? I'll ask you to take a plane to Denver, register at the Cosmopolitan Hotel, and wait until you hear from me. What? I want a statement from you before you go, but I want you to be safe. I'll get around to Hobb and Baines. All I want are sworn statements to the effect that Vickery built a bad school, that he violated insurance specifications. That'll start it rolling. Oh, when do you want the statement? Tonight, right here. All right. Let's get busy. It took an hour to get the statement. After that, I drove her to Grand Junction to catch a plane. Expense account item 10, dollar and a half, telegram, to a friend of mine in the private detective business in Denver. I asked him to meet Flory Hawkins' plane, see that she was safe and comfortable, and keep an eye on her during her stay in Denver. Then I drove back to Clinton. Item 11, 10 cents, another phone call. This one to David Baines. Yeah, dollar? Baines, Flory Hawkins made a statement about the school building and the fire. She's tired of being scared and shoved around. Now, how about you? You want a statement from me? Yes. Comparing your specifications with what you saw that actually went into the building. Will you make it out and take it before a notary? All right. If she can, I can. Then what? Then go down to Denver and wait till you hear from me. I'll make the statement, but I won't leave town. You'll help me a lot if you do. Sorry. You'll be in danger here. I feel brave. If you're going to play it so broad, I'll do it too. I took his statement directly to the post office and mailed it to myself at the Northern Hotel. Expense account item 12, 40 cents, phone calls. 
I telephoned Sheriff Doherty, Fire Chief Hanley, and County Attorney Contractor Roy Vickery and told them that I had a sworn statement regarding building irregularities. Sheriff Doherty snorted and hung up. Chief Hanley yawned and told me not to bother him. And Roy Vickery just laughed. About 8 o'clock that night, I was at the home of Building Inspector Richard Hobb, a nice home in a nice part of town. The woman standing in the doorway was tall and blonde, holding a drink and smoking a cigarette. Yes? I'd like to see Mr. Richard Hobb. I'm Johnny Dollar. I'm Lucille Hobb. He isn't home right now. But you can come in and wait for him and talk to me. I'm not bad company. Would a drink help? Help what? Whatever's wrong with you. You look tired, Mr. Dollar. It might, but uh, I'd rather not. I just came by to talk to your husband. You said that. What do you want to talk to him about? Business. This time of night? Let's stop talking about him. What do you say? Uh, look, uh, you, uh, you probably missed your dinner tonight, and you've been getting all of your nourishment out of a bottle, so I'll come back <laughs> and later. And you're afraid Dick will walk in. No, 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 I'm not afraid of that, Mrs. Hobb. He's already walked out, and you're feeling sorry for yourself. What? Well, a man, if he lives in a place, has a, an ashtray or a picture or yesterday's sports section lying around the front room. I don't see anything like that in this room. If I walked over to that closet, ten to one, I wouldn't find any of his clothes. And if I tried the drawers, I'll lay odds there wouldn't be a shirt around either. When did he leave? You're crazy. When did he leave? Yesterday. After the fire? During the fire. Where did he go? I don't know. Did he go alone? I don't know. Did Vickery tell him to get out of town? No. I'll ask that again. Did Vickery tell your husband to get out of town? I don't know. You said no the first time I asked. Vickery, a pal of your husband's? They know each other, naturally. Look, Mrs. Hobb, I don't know how much you've had to drink, but if I'm reading your eyes right, you're scared. You're scared about what's happened here and what could happen here. And you know your husband's involved. Mrs. Hobb, I want your husband to help me. If he helps me, I can help this town get rid of people like Vickery and Doherty and Hanley. If you see him, if he contacts you, tell him that. Tell him I won't let anything happen to him. Tell him I have statements from two people already and they're being protected. I'll protect your husband. You got all that? I don't know what you're talking about. Good night, Mrs. Hobb. I left her standing in the middle of the living room, drink in hand, staring vacantly at... I don't know what. Outside in the crisp mountain air, I took stock of the situation. Richard Hobb, building inspector who had passed the school building, would be the most important witness I could find to make a statement. The others, from Flory Hawkins and David Baines, would help. But Hobbs' information would be essential to an investigation. I was just clinging to my rented car when a sleek, dark limousine pulled up, and Roy Vickery leaned out the window. Come here. Why not? Pretty cold weather to be out so late at night. Yeah, but then I've got a lot to do. Uh, you've been in to see Mr. Hobbs? Yeah. How's Richard these days? I wouldn't know. I only spoke to Mrs. Hobb. I see. Lovely girl, isn't she? Well, she's a little sad right now. Her husband's missing. He left town during the fire yesterday. Do tell. Yeah, I have a feeling he might have been ordered out of town. Sooner or later, people would be asking the building inspector embarrassing questions about their school. Uh-huh. Were, uh, were you going to ask him some, some embarrassing questions, that is? Yeah, yeah, sure I was. I was going to ask him why he passed it. I was going to ask him how much he was paid to pass it. I was going to ask who paid him to pass it. 
And then I was going to ask him to make a statement. I figured you might have had something like that in mind. Well, it's been nice talking to you, Mr. Vickery. I hope I see you real soon in jail. A dollar. What? I know you're trying to earn your money and you're working very hard. But I'd stop it if I were you. I admire a man like you, someone who calls a spade a spade. Or a liar, a liar. Or a liar, a liar. But dollar, it, it just won't do you any good here in Clinton. Tell you what. You worry about your problems and I'll worry about mine. Have it your way. Ready with your call to New York, Mr. Dollar? Right. Go ahead, please. Hi, Johnny. Hello, Al. Hey, look, Al, it's a mess here. I've made a little headway. I mean, I'll have a couple of statements coming in, but no concrete evidence yet. Well, what do you think? The school building was a fix or something or other. Money somewhere. I haven't been able to find out. The town's sewed up tight, civically and politically. I can't expect any help from the law or the fire department here. They're in it, too. Oh, that kind of thing, huh? Afraid so. I need help. We'll be there in 24 hours. They want to play it that way? We'll play it that way. Twenty minutes after I hung up the phone and was in bed, I found out how much of a mess it really was. That's when my hotel door opened and a man lurched across the room toward me. Dollar, I... I've got to tell you, I wanted to get to you yesterday. He stood in front of me, swaying back and forth, his hands clutching the front of his coat. He fell before I could get to him. Three bullet holes formed a neat trio across where his tie pin should have been. I ran my fingers through his coat, pulled out his wallet. The license read, Richard Hobb, age 39, occupation, building inspector. Johnny Dollar. Al Davis, Johnny. We're on our way. What? Yeah, we're in Grand Junction now. We ought to be in Clinton three hours, renting a couple of cars. I brought help. I can use it, Al. There's been a murder here. What? Last night, a building inspector named Richard Hobbs staggered into my room, tried to tell me something, but died before he could get it out. He'd been shot three times. Now, look, you be careful. Don't do anything until we get there. That's an order. Yes, sir. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the United Adjustment Bureau, 418 West 61st Street, New York City. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Clinton matter. Expense account item 13, 60 cents breakfast. I had it sent up to my room. Right behind the bellhop appeared the tall figure of Sheriff Doherty. How about inviting me for a cup of coffee? Sure. Sit down. Help yourself, Sheriff. Uh, thank you. You know, you're a mighty lucky man. In what way? I was almost holding you for murder, boy. That hob fella. Oh, that, yeah. You're looking into it, I suppose. Yep, yep, we're looking into it. I hesitate to ask, but are you getting anywhere? Uh, we figure he was shot sometime last night. Found his car downstairs all smeared up. Might have driven in from someplace. Where? We don't know. Well, do you know he blew town when the school fire broke out? We talked to Mrs. Hobbs. I talked to her myself. Yeah. Naturally, we want to find out everything we can about this matter. 
Now, Hob came up here last night and died in this room of gunshots. Why do you suppose he came here? I never knew the man, Sheriff. I talked to someone who did know him once. She said he'd been a pretty decent man at one time. If you and Chief Hanley and Vickery didn't tell him to leave town when that fire broke out, he might have told me himself. His conscience might have hurt him about passing a building that never could have stood an inspection. Go on. He might have heard that I was in town investigating it. He might have gotten sick and tired of the cheap, rotten little schemes here in Clinton and come back to help me straighten it out. You don't think much of our town, do you? Not the way it is, Sheriff. And I don't think much of you. In that case, I'll just try to keep out of your way. Do that. You do the same, Dollar. Here. Two hours later, Al Davies and a contingent of special operatives arrived in Clinton. Toby O'Brien from Continental States Insurance. Rob Schwartz and the Minx Twins from Columbia Adjustment, giving us a friendly hand. Todd Weaver, who just finished a case with the Canadian Adjusters Limited. Lou Doniger and Thad Thomas from Chicago. A pretty imposing group of expert investigators. Well, Johnny, you look okay. Yeah, still in one piece. Hi, Thad, Lou. You want to get the door, Toby? Oh, sit down there, Joe. Now, this isn't any vacation trip, boys. We're all going to have to roll up our sleeves. All right, Johnny, you want to break it down? Yeah, all right. Well, this is a big one, fellas. If you'll all sit, I'll bring you up to date. Yeah, sure. No, sit right there. Three days ago, I came here on a tip that building irregularities were suspected in the new school building. The man who tipped the insurance company was the janitor, name of Julian Osborne. I never talked to Osborne because he died in the fire that destroyed that building. I did talk to the man who designed the building. His name is David Baines. He claims none of his specifications were followed in the construction. So that's why it caught fire and went down so fast. His statement right here. Now, I talked to the school principal, Flory Hawkins. She supports Baines' statement. I wanted most of all to get a statement from the building inspector who passed the building, Richard Hobb. Hobb was murdered last night. Ah, no wonder you need help. All right, now, the sheriff, the fire chief, and the building contractor are all in on it. And there are too many leads for one man to follow, too many people for one man to talk to. The sheriff is making an investigation of Hobbs' murder, but we'd better make our own. Now, you, Toby, and you, Thad, Hobbs, your job. Find out everything about him, his bank account, his friends, his troubles, everything. Especially who killed him. His widow's Lucille Hobb. I met her last night. Leave it to him to find the woman. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now. Rob? Yeah? Your man is the building contractor, Roy Vickery. He's big and tough and shrewd, and he talks softly. He owns and runs the whole show, if I'm guessing right. Now, take Toby and run Vickery down. Bank accounts, purchase orders, what kind of money he spends, and so on. Jim and Almix? All right, you two, find out everything you can about Julian Osborne, the janitor who was burned to death. I want Lou Doniger to stick close to Fire Chief Hanley. Same thing, everything and anything you can get on him. Al, you can handle Sheriff Doherty. The rest of you spread out. Start talking with anybody in town who might know anything. When you find one who's sick and tired of watching their town being run by a pack of hoodlums, send them up here to the room. We'll try to get statements from them making specific charges, Al. Yeah. I want to guarantee every one of them security. So take them down to Denver, give them protection until it's safe to walk the streets here. If that's necessary, I'll arrange it. It's necessary. All right, All right now report back to me anytime you want. Don't push anybody around. Don't let anybody push you around. Okay, let's get to work. Eight strange men moving through Clinton, Colorado, asking questions were as conspicuous as I wanted them to be. I knew everybody in the little town would be hearing about them and watching them. 
And sooner or later, I hoped that would pay off. An hour went by before I got any action. Johnny Dollar. You the fellow with the insurance company? Yeah, that's right. Who's this? Never mind. You're taking a lot of chances around here. We're going to take lots more. Do you have anything to say? Yeah. My name's Earl Kennedy. I'd like to talk to you. Name the place. You go down and stand in front of your hotel. I'll drive by and pick you up. I went down and stood in front of the Northern Hotel. Five minutes passed. Ten minutes. And then a car drove up. Two men in the front seat, three in the back. One of them leaned out. Dollar? Yeah. Come on, get in. Kennedy, construction foreman on the school. Hi. I thought you were going to be alone. Man next to you is Frank Ibsen. I'm the city editor of the Clinton Times. Those three boys in the back are Chuck Borden, Pete Geiger, and John Newton. They all worked for me on the construction. Hi. Hi. We seen the guys you brought into town. Really? Some pretty heavy boys. You know, the town's a little edgy with all that's happened. The fire, the janitor getting burned murder of Dick Hobb. None of which were caused by any of my investigators. How long are they going to be in town? As long as they have to be. We're going to get to the bottom of all this. How many did you bring in? Eight. I'll bring in 80 if I have to. Aren't you talking kind of big? This is a big job. Yeah. This far enough? Turn in here. Now what? Just want to talk to you. Well... We're all willing to make statements, Dollar. I can charge Vickery with shortchanging the city on materials. These guys in the back seat will tell you the same thing. They came to me to ask my advice. I told them to talk to you, see what kind of man you are. I'll print anything that's the truth. Well, that'd help a lot, Mr. Ibsen. The paper's at your disposal, provided it's the truth. Fair enough. All of you be willing to testify? I am. Okay. Now, a couple of other things. First... About Richard Hobb. You tell him, Frank. Hobb had big ideas, and he played ball with Vickery and the rest of them. It also looks like he was murdered because he was going to try to make it right. Now, about Roy Vickery. He was born here in Clinton, brought up here. He's built about one-third of the structures in this town, every one of them standing today, every one except the school. Any angle on that? Your insurance, $200,000. Okay. Where can I get a copy of the actual purchase orders used in the building? From Vickery. But I don't think he'd let you have them, if he still got them. Well, he gave me specifications that look like forgeries. I want the real thing. I'll have to have the real thing. Well, let me look around. Now, when and where do we make the statements? Let's go over to my hotel room and do it right now. Better use the newspaper office. You're probably being watched by now, Mr. Dollar. Expense account item 14, $10, legal fees. Two hours later, I hired a notary to attest the sworn statements of Earl Kennedy, Frank Gibson, Charles Borden, Peter Geiger, and John Newton. They were damaging statements that would bear considerable weight in a courtroom. But they were not enough to bring the matter before a court. Al Davies was waiting for me when I got back to my hotel room. Hi. Hi. Come here. Hmm, what is it? We've got friends. Yeah. 
One, two, three, seven. Mm Mm-hmm. They've been gathering around the hotel now for the last hour or two. Any of the boys run into trouble yet? No, none they couldn't handle. This could be ticklish, though, Johnny. Huh? Well, if Doe's down there uh, provoked a... An open showdown. Yeah, that might be the idea. We aren't ready for anything like that yet. We're getting there. Come in. Well, hello, Sheriff. This is Mr. Davies, our chief inspector. Davies? Are you the man who brought these troublemakers into town? I brought eight assistants with me, Sheriff. They're troublemakers. They've been going around asking questions, upsetting folks, getting in the way. I'd hate to see any of them get hurt. Like with those out there on the street? Those men out there are a group of indignant citizens who came to see me in a body and protested this investigation and the way it's being handled. They look more like hired bully boys, Sheriff. I'm asking you and Mr. Davies to withdraw these men you have working in Clinton. I'm asking you to do that by sundown. Suppose we don't, Sheriff. Then you'll take the consequences. Now, wait a minute. What? I don't want to keep you in a state of suspense, Sheriff. We're willing to take the consequences. What? If that crew out there shoot as well as they looked, they're pretty rough people to go up against. Let me tell you, every man in this investigation is armed. We won't be intimidated, shoved around, or bullied by you, those bums out there, or anyone in this town. Now, you tell that to Mr. Vickery and Chief Hanley. And then you go home and stand in front of a mirror, Sheriff, and tell it to yourself. You gave us till sundown to get out. I'm giving you until sundown to resign as Sheriff. Now, if you don't do that, I'll see that you're forced out of office. Now, what do you think of that? You must feel mighty strong to talk like that. See this, and this, 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 and this? These are all sworn statements from people in this town who aren't afraid of you and Vickery and the others. You'd be surprised how many other people around here are on the verge of making statements, on the verge of not being scared of you anymore. So where are we, Sheriff? I'm going to kill you. Not now, you aren't. Go on, get out of here. I'll kill you, Dollar. Johnny Dollar. Toby O'Brien, Johnny. Heard you had a run-in with Sheriff Doherty. They say you gave him a little sundown to resign his office. Yeah, I don't think he will, though. He'll have to do something close to it. I got some information on Richard Hobb, the building inspector who was murdered. Yeah? Hobb deposited $20,000 in the bank last year. What's that? Now, wait. Hobb's salary as city building inspector was $7,500 per annum. The $20,000 went in in four $5,000 deposits. Holy... And now, wait. There's more. Those deposit dates coincide with OKs Hobb made on the school building. He was paid off after each inspection. Johnny, we got it on paper. We got some other things on paper, too, Toby. Hold on. Keep digging. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Clinton, Colorado. To United Adjustment Bureau, 418 West 61st Street, New York City. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Clinton matter. Expense account item 15, $45. For photostatic copies of deposit slips in the account of Richard Hobb, building inspector, lately murdered. Furnished by one of my operatives, Toby O'Brien. Here you are. Okay. I got a feeling this whole town's coming apart at the seams, Johnny. The sheriff threatened you openly. Everybody who's anybody around here is trying to cover up the school burning down and 
The way it was built. I think I can hurry up the process. Now, you be careful. These people seem to play for keeps. They've got to realize we do, too. These photostats are the first real bit of presentable evidence that the building was constructed under fraudulent circumstances. Hey, take it easy. Now, you keep the originals. Mail them out to the office. The post office is still pretty honest. Yeah. Also, let it out that we have the information wherever you go. I want them to get worried and steamed up and start acting dumber than they already have been. Okay. Might scare Doherty and Hanley a little bit. That Vickery seems like a different proposition. I don't think he scares. I drove my rented car over to the home of his grieving widow. She answered the door with tears in both eyes and bourbon over the rocks in one hand. She wore a black dress, black and satin and tight, low cut. Not exactly Emily Post for mourning. But as I say, it was black. A black lace handkerchief waved in the air. Oh, Mr. Dollar, I'm glad you came by. I'm so unhappy and lost. Yeah, I can see that. May I come in? Why not? The sheriff hasn't done anything about Thought Richard's murder. I wouldn't rely too heavily on Sheriff Doherty, Mrs. Hobb. I don't think he will do anything. No? Well, don't look so surprised in your hour of bereavement, Mrs. Hobb. You know he won't do anything. I don't know anything of the kind. Why don't you sit down and let's talk? I want you to help me. I'm I'm not sure I can help you. I'm... I'm so broken up. Oh, now, if you're not careful, you might drown in those tears. What are you trying Relax, to... Mrs. Hobb. All right. So I can't really cry about Richard. I never have. But I thought it was expected of me. Some people might expect it. I don't. Now, look. This setup creaks from top to bottom. Your late husband made 7500 a year and deposited $20,000 in six months. Here. Figure. I don't know anything about his money. All I know is the bank told me he had only $300 left. What did he do with it? What do you think? He spent it on other women. Then why the tragic act? I'm not very good at it, am I? Not the best. And it's funny, Johnny, because I really mean it. Oh, I know how foolish I look in these clothes. I wanted to cry because, well, I really loved him once and he loved me, but we kicked it away because we both wanted more excitement than this town or his salary could give us. He was always out spending his money on other women, being a big shot. What about the money? He got it for falsifying the inspection papers, didn't he? Yes. Who gave it to him, Mrs. Hobb? I don't know. Probably Roy Vickery. Who do you think killed him? I don't know that either. What do you know? Johnny, he didn't leave insurance. And I have to live the best way I can. If I stay in this town, I have to keep friends. If I don't want to keep them, I have no choice but to move. And that takes money. I wonder what could possibly be going on in your mind. Your company handles insurance, doesn't it? 263 different kinds. Are you particular what kind of premiums you collect? Well, we pay off on a lot of things. Just what kind of insurance were you thinking about? $2,000 endowment. Got your pen? No, but my words go to the cashier's cage. What do you got? I'm trusting you. Richard got that $20,000 from the Clinton Gravel Company for services rendered. Know who owns the Clinton Gravel Company? Roy Vickery. That's close enough. Last night after you were here, Richard came back. I told him what you'd said to me. He said Vickery and the others were going to make a patsy out of him. So he left to see you. And got shot up. Hey, wait, wait a minute. Vickery was outside your house when I left. He might have done it himself. That's all I can tell you. Now, uh, do I get my insurance? If what you say is true, Mrs. Hobb, I'll have to check first. You'll find out. 
Say, where do you come from, anyhow? Hartford, Connecticut. Connecticut. Say, I got an idea. What's the housing situation in Hartford? Rough. For you, Mrs. Hobb. Very rough. I finally tore myself away from the grieving widow and headed back to the hotel. On my way down the main street of Clinton, someone with a wrinkled coat and bourbon on his breast stepped out and stopped me. David Baines, the architect. Dollar. Well, hi. I told you I was going to stick around and do something brave. Oh? I finally got up courage enough to do something decent. Decent for me, anyway. For anybody else, it'd be too low to talk about. Why was it? Well, I'm not much of a lawyer, but they say there's a statute in the books that says a private citizen may commit a crime to prevent a greater crime from being committed and still go free. Is that right? I wouldn't know. Well, I committed a crime. Two crimes. Dishonor to my noble character. Disappointing the trust of a young woman. That was the first one. Then, uh, an engineering a theft. I'm a fagin. That's what I am. Under the guise of loving a young female secretary eternally, I have, well, here. The purchase orders from Roy Vickery's office. The actual purchase orders for the school. What? She stole them for me. For you. With my best regard. I looked at them. They were as advertised. Purchase orders complete down to the last tenpenny nail. Expense account item 16, 48 cents, postage. Not being a technical expert, I sent them down to Denver for perusal by the original brokers. Fourteen hours later, the verdict came back in a long telegram. The materials used in the school construction were not passable. The insurance company would never honor the claim of the city of Clinton. This text I turned over to Frank Ibsen, publisher of the Clinton Times. He promised it would be in the late afternoon edition. There were other developments. Toby O'Brien again? Yeah, Toby. We located two witnesses to the Hobb shooting. Vickery put Hobb out of the way himself. Get their statements and get them on a train to Denver right away. Right. Then you better gather up the rest of the boys and come over here. Right. Expense account item 17, 10 cents, one newspaper. The afternoon edition of the Times, which carried a complete story of the insurance investigation up to date, naming Vickery as the perpetrator of the school fire and involving Sheriff Doherty and Chief Hanley. I phoned Frank Ibsen and explained his next edition could carry the story of Hobbs' murder by Vickery. Ibsen said he'd make up an extra for that. I'd no sooner hung up the phone than I had visitors. Want to come with us, Dollar? Not particularly. Who are you? Deputy Egan. Sheriff Doherty wants to talk to you. I've already said all I want to say to him. Get out. Guys? Take him out of here. There was strictly no contest. I walked out of the room with a deputy on each side of me and Egan behind me. We were in front of the hotel when I saw Toby O'Brien, Al Davis, and John Newton coming toward the entrance. I kicked out at the nearest man and yelled for help. A few of the local citizens joined in the fight and Sheriff Doherty's three deputies got the worst of it. We took them all back up to my room. Uh, sit down. All right, Egan. You're, you're going to be arrested for this, dog. Where were you going to take me? Where? Place in the edge of town. Clinton Gravel Works. Why? Doherty. Doherty said to bring you back. He, he wanted to see you. Who's there with him? I. I don't know. The Clinton Gravel Works was a large building and tall shaft set on the edge of a frozen lake. Parking near the entrance was a long black limousine, such as a well-to-do contractor might drive. A white supercharged sedan, such as a fancy western sheriff might use, and a red sedan, unmistakably belonging to the fire chief. We covered all the exits, and Toby O'Brien and I went in the front way. 
We were halfway up the steps when things began to happen. You all right? Yeah, come on. Well, hello, dollar. <laughs> all right, lie still, Vickery. I stayed still for you too long. I should have put you out of the way. The same as you put Hob out of the way. Better. Ah, <coughs> uh, this one's gone. Who is he? Fire Chief Hanley. Vickery, where's Doherty? He's out shooting his gun some more, Dollar. I hope he gets you too. I hope. He's backstairs, Johnny. Yeah. Stay away from me, Dollar. The place is surrounded. Throw down the gun and walk out with your hands behind your head. Toby, I'll get on the front way. Get the guys to step around through the shaft. Right. You coming out? Doherty, you coming out? No. Doherty. You ought to go over a place good before you think you got a man trapped, Dollar. You're trapped, Sheriff. The men are waiting for you. I'm up here with you, and you're the one I want. I told you I'd kill you. I've still got my gun in my hand. Vickery had his gun, and so did Hanley. Look at them. Yeah, you did pretty well. Made it look like they shot each other. And now it's your turn, Dollar. No! Get back! Okay, Johnny? Yeah, just a nick. Hey, get a doctor, will you? Yes, sure. Well, Sheriff? Uh, I guess... (laughs) I guess I... Kind of forgot some. Yeah, what's that? Part of a... About the falling out. Among thieves, Dollar. That was Sheriff Doherty's last statement. He died on his way to the hospital. Roy Vickery recovered and was arraigned on charges of murder, conspiracy, 28 counts all told. Chief Hanley was dead. Expense account item 18, $62, board and room. Item 19, $58, miscellaneous. Item 20, $164, transportation back to Hartford. Total expense account, $2,385.03. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's exciting story. Next week... The Jolly Roger fraud matter. And, uh, yeah, that means piracy. Of a kind that would have made Captain Kidd look like a bungling amateur. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Jeanette Nolan, Lucille Meredith, Carlton Young, Herb Ellis, Jack Petruzzi, Bob Bruce, Herb Butterfield, Paul Richards, Edgar Barrier, Russell Thorson, Jack Moyles, and Frank Gerstel. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. This was such a great story. Usually, Johnny can handle these cases all on his own. The idea that every once in a while, and I think this is probably the only time for Bailey as Johnny Dollar, Johnny runs into a case that's a little too big and needs a bit of help. And when you're dealing with a $200,000 claim, the insurance company is willing to come loaded for bear. And certainly they do in this case. And uh, this was a story that was originally done in the O'Brien era with the episode, The Story of the Big Red Schoolhouse from 1950. But it is perfect for the scope of a five-part story. And there's almost a traditional Western feel to it. The idea of a hero riding into town, refusing to be intimidated, and cleaning up the town. Certainly that whole feeling was present in the final episode. I also had a thought while I was listening to this. There have been comic books based on yours truly, Johnny Dollar. But none that, like, tried to tell the same story as the radio version. I was thinking this would make a great graphic novel, really. Although, of course, you know, you couldn't have the acting of Bob Bailey would be the only challenge. But this is one of the biggest stories that Johnny Dollar has ever done. And it really is fitting that it gets told in this format. Now, John Abbott notes in his book, The Who is Johnny Dollar Matter, that there's a bit of discrepancy with the agent count. Mr. Abbott writes, In episode four, Al Davies tells the sheriff that he brought eight agents with him for a total of nine. But Johnny only lists seven in episode three, uh, which with Al Davies makes eight. There was also a mix-up in the agent count in the Big Red Schoolhouse story. So, a little bit of lack of clarity there, but definitely forgivable in this case. Now, I should also note that after the Big Red Schoolhouse, this was also adapted into an episode of Sam Spade, which we haven't heard yet. Thankfully, it's one of the last episodes of Sam Spade, so we're not going to hear it until fall. So this won't be fresh in mind for most folks, but again, really just a great uh, serial. And something a bit different from what we normally get with Johnny wrapping things up on his own with the help of the local police. Of the Plantagenet Manor over on Spotify, Bertie writes, Fantastic! Thank you so much! And a listener comments regarding the fire in Paradise Matter, Ha! Huh. Those incidentals really pile up, don't they, though? Thank you so much. Appreciate your comments. And now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to April, Patreon supporter since February 2017, currently supporting the program at the detective sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, April. 
And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those great things that help more listeners uh, discover our channel. We will be back on Tuesday with the start of another Johnny Dollar serial, which will conclude on Friday. And then next Saturday, you'll want to be sure and listen to Crime Fighters. But join us back here tomorrow for the final episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... Now, I'd just like to go over a few things to make sure we have them straight. Mr. Harper, you say you had $37 in your wallet? Uh, That's right, Ranger. And Ruth had five in her purse. Five and some change, Jim. It was closer to six. Uh, The boy who robbed you, all you remember about him is that he was heavy set and not too tall. Well, I know he was shorter than Ruth, and she's five foot eight. Wish we could tell you more, but it was pretty dark the whole time he was with us. Couldn't get a good look at his face. Ranger, I just remembered something about him I forgot to tell you before don't know if it'll help. Anything will help, Mrs. Harper. Well, I did notice that he had his sleeves rolled up right to his shoulders like he was trying to show off his muscles. I see. Now about this girl the fellow said he was with. Did you... Oh, hello, Sheriff. Well, howdy, Jason. Folks, I'm sorry I wasn't here sooner, but at least I got some good news for you. Oh, what's that, Sheriff? They found your car just a few minutes ago. Oh, that's a relief. Where'd they find it, Sheriff? A couple of miles from where the holdup took place. Just got it on the radio as I was driving up. I told him I'd relay the message on to you. Well, can someone take us out there? Well, that won't be necessary, Mr. Harper. They're towing it in right now. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.